Oops, am I here? Yes. Good evening, everybody. Some people may have got washed away. Ripper of a storm, wasn't it? Hey, listen, just before I begin, just one very quick announcement to do with the Christmas boxes. Um, just to let you know, see Margie Buttle for any other details, but if you've got one of those at home, it needs to be in by next Sunday. All right, there's about 200 and something off there, I think. Um, so if you've got some at home, please finish the packing, bring them here. And from what I understand, there will be a bit of fundraising food for sale, something like that happening here as well. So come along and help to uh, fundraise for, the, for the, the actual sending of those boxes to the Philippines, as far as I know, that's where they're going. So there you go, quickly, another plug. All right, let's just pray together as we come to the Lord's Word. Father, we already have enjoyed your presence, Lord, just enjoying this place of worship, and we, we bless you, we thank you for the things we've heard and seen, the things that you've already touched our hearts with, and, and uh, Lord, as we come to open your word, we pray that, uh, that you'll speak to us, Lord, it's going to be a bit of a tough topic, this one, but pray that your grace and, and your Holy Spirit will just give us that humility and that, that openness to hear what you want to say to us, and how we can actually action the things that you call us to do. You're a great God. You're a loving God. We bless you. We worship you. You've got the greatest plan that we could ever have. And we want that plan, Lord, in our lives, we pray. So do your work and be amongst us. Thank you that you are now in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, for those of you who were here, Pastor Charlie spoke on two kinds of wisdom from uh, James chapter 3 and ended with those magnificent words. In chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, I've got to read them again. They're just magnificent. It goes like this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. Look at these beautiful words. Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And it's these words that, that, I, that I've just read, they, they almost seem like a benediction, don't they, as, it, as, that, as that chapter comes to a close. That benediction, I mean, that they're words of just wonderful blessing that, that brings this chapter to a close. And it leaves the reader, as you read that, and you've been enjoying what God's been saying, challenged, but enjoying. And, uh, and, and the reader's kind of left in that place of peacefulness and, 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 and this place of, a place of tranquility and, and heavenly meditation as we finish on those words. And you're kind of going, isn't that just loud oh, wonderful? And then it's like a clap of thunder, like that storm that came through this afternoon uh, that jolts us back to an earthly reality that God wants us to deal with as believers and, uh, and do something about. And so we read in chapter 4, straight after reading those lovely words, chapter 4, James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Wow. Okay. You know, it's, a, it's an age-old question. You probably asked it or had it asked to you. Still asked by many today. Why is there so much fighting, bloodshed, violence and wars in our world? Why is this stuff happening everywhere? You know, and in chapter 4, James asks the same question, but with a difference. Sadly, he's not referring to the world, 
but to the church. And it's again um, so tragic that many Christians seem to carry over from the old flesh life of the past into their new life in Christ a restlessness, an, an impatience, a, an anger and other carnal baggage that do result in fights and quarrels. And unlike those magnificent, wonderful virtues that we just read about there in chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 that come from heaven, <laughs> fights and quarrels, where do they come from? Where do they come from? They don't come from heaven. So why, as believers in Christ, do we give place to these broken, destructive things in our lives? Well, James begins to answer these kinds of questions. Right here, in this chapter, verse 1, look at it again. Follow with me here. He says, it's a bit of a rhetorical question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? I don't think I need to convince anybody here tonight that if you've received Christ into your life, not only will you know the joy or do you know that the joy of sins forgiven and, you know, and the assurance of eternal life, but my dear friends, you'll also know the reality of a battle that rages within you. You see, the problem being that even though in Christ we are that new creation, we still, until we're caught up to heaven, we still cohabit with this old nature. The old flesh life. And it's influenced by Satan and it will war against the new spiritual life influenced by God the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have this internal battle where you and I, in our weaknesses at various times, will give way to the flesh, which by its very nature is selfish. It is envious. It's just straight out sinful. One commentator put it like this. His name's Fickett. He doesn't pull any punches. He says this. Mark this well and never forget it. He's talking to believers. Mark this well and never forget it. When an individual becomes a Christian, all of his or her troubles are not over. The devil will see to that. With all of his or her, sorry, with all of his diabolical power, he will fiendishly stimulate evil passions and desires to the point that if a person is not both careful and determined, he or she will find themselves constantly turning their back upon the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I think he says that well, doesn't he? Something for us to really hang on to and listen to what God says and be determined. Now we're going to walk with Jesus. I'm not going to give way to the flesh. God brought me out of that garbage and I'm leaving it behind. I'm a new creation. Lord, I want to walk with you and be more like you. And God says, yes, that's what I want for your life as well. The Apostle Paul, though, I love how he writes in Romans chapter, in Romans chapter 8, 7, sorry. But 
the Apostle Paul, a, a man who had a heart for Christ like no other, you know, even as a mature believer, and he'd walked with God for a long time when he wrote the book of Romans. Even as a believer in Christ, in his letter to the Roman believers, he wrote of these same battles that, that I've just described here. He's wrote, he writ, wrote to the, the Roman believers to encourage them to keep pressing on, even though these battles rage in us. Here's a portion. I really encourage you to read Romans chapter 7 to get the whole picture. But this is a portion of what uh, Paul, how he describes this battle. He says this. This is Romans 7, 21 to 25. He says, so I find this law at work. He says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And you can sense the wrestle and the battle he has. And then he says this, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And how sad it would be if he had no answer. But look what he says. Thanks be to God who delivers me. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers you and me through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, this is James's message as well to us. Thanks be to God. Yep, it's James's message, but he nonetheless continues in this chapter to confront and to call out bad and sinful behavior among Christians. Let me keep reading here. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Not actually kill physically. It's this hatred. It's this anger that we talk about. That's like killing. He says, you covet, but you do not get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, you don't know, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. And he says some other things in verse 12 as well. And it would seem that James was writing to believers who, among other things, were fighting with each other over positions in the church. Many of them aspired to be teachers and leaders. And we get that by chapter 3, verse 1, where, where James is talking about that. But the end product, however, was not spiritual edification, but arguments and fights. Warren, Warren Worsby simply explained it by this. He said, selfish ambition, selfish ambition ruled their meetings, not spiritual submission. Listen to how James again says this in James chapter 3, verse 16, 13 to 16. He says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. 
But if you harbor bitter envy or, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and, and every evil practice. Now let me just continue with this theme for a minute. You've already heard me read James chapter 4 and verse 2. Let me read it in the Amplified. It goes like this. You are jealous and covet what others have, and your desires go unfulfilled. So you become murderers. To hate is to murder as far as your hearts are concerned. You burn with envy and anger and are not able to obtain the gratification, the contentment and the happiness that you seek. So you fight and war. Not a real healthy picture of a church, is it? But you've got to ask the question, what's going on with this church? What's going on with these believers here that James is writing to? Could it happen here? Oh, is it happening here? Because they're the questions that we've got to ask each other, isn't it? Is it not? They're the things that God writes this for us today. And we've got to ask those questions. Because he's got something better for us. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount in reference to relationships with each other. That's what James is talking about just at the moment. Relationships with one another. Jesus says this. Magnificent words again. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. In that scripture, notice that Jesus doesn't specify what that something against you actually is. He doesn't say what it is. He just says something against you. Um, whether it's big or whether it's small, whether it's significant, whatever it is. But when you and I, this is how I see the application of this. But when you and I, for example, do come to church to worship and, and to bless the Lord and to meet with God. And we come into the sanctuary and we come to that place where we're with the Lord and, and God's Holy Spirit works. He does work. Sometimes we wish he wouldn't so work like that. But sometimes he puts his finger on something in your life. That's something. And he brings to your attention that particular something that needs to be put right with a fellow believer. So what do you do? Well, then just do what James has said here, what the word of God tells us to do. Sorry, what, what Jesus says here in, in Matthew, he says, well, then do it first. Go and get that thing sorted out. And it may mean that you need to offer a word of apology to someone. It may, may mean that you need to make amends, that you may need to ask the question if you're not sure. You may have to go to that person and say, look, I'm, I'm not sure, but are we okay with each other? How many times have you done that? You've got to do that. Are we okay with each other? I've done that. And the other person will say, sure. Or... No, look, there is something. And you sort it out. So you need to be reconciled to your brother and your sister. 
You need to apologize, say sorry, forgiveness, all those things. Do it. And then you come back. And then God will accept your offering of worship. And I believe that you will sense a relief. I believe you will sense a peace and, a, and his pleasure in your heart. Because you've done and you've obeyed what his spirit has prompted you to do. That may happen in church. It may not be in church. It may be somewhere else. But God's spirit, you walk with the Lord Jesus. He will put his finger on things in your life. And he'll say, you need to put that right. He'll give you that sensitivity. So you'll sense his pleasure. You'll know his forgiveness. You'll know the joy. And you'll know that God will hear your prayer. And that's beautiful. You know, I, I've got to say again, I, I, I had to do this thing this very week. I think God was testing me out. Here I am writing this sermon. And I knew there was something not right between me and another person. I didn't, and, and I actually wasn't sure what it was. Had an idea. But I had to do that. And I want to tell you, it wasn't easy. But I knew I had to do it. And I went up to this person and I said, look, I think I need to apologise to you. And, and I explained how I was feeling. And, 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 and uh, I did. And, and uh, we put it right. Because it played on my mind. And when, you, when those things happen, you've got to do something about it. Otherwise, it becomes bitter and hard. And you don't want roots of bitterness growing in your heart. So get things right with one another. And God will hear your prayer. And I speak of prayer because now James, James now turns his attention towards a believer's relationship with God. And he says this in verse 3. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures, on your pleasures. We cannot expect God to answer a proud or selfish motivated prayer. It's pretty easy, isn't it, to get that? Can't expect the holy God who wants the best for you, for you to say, well, well God, I, no, I want my best, the way I see it. Pride and selfishness. You can't expect God to answer a prayer when that is the motivation. James in, in, in verse uh, in 6 here, uh, verse 6 of James 4, he, he quotes Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34, and he says this, but he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. So we can see right there, there's no point in coming to God if you're proud and selfish. He opposes that. So you've got to put that right. God says that right here. See, selfishness and pride will never win God's favour. And a prayer uttered with such an attitude won't even get past the ceiling, I don't believe. We're talking about some hard stuff tonight, aren't we? But we need to do it because it's in God's word. And this is where we're up to. <laughs> Psalm 66, verse 18. The psalmist says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened he won't listen. You cannot expect a grieving spirit with you if there's sin in your life to listen to you and to be one with you if you're grieving him. And so my dear precious brothers and sisters here tonight, ask God to search your heart 
And we need to ask him to do that often, as the psalmist did. Write this down if you haven't done it either. But Psalm 139, one of my favourite psalms, verses 23-24, the psalmist says this, Search me, search me God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A courageous prayer, but a necessary prayer, an essential prayer to pray. All of us need to. Because sin has that habit of hibernating there in our hearts. We need to say, God, you search me because you see see everything. So James in verse 4 now, he continues to rebuke this sinful behavior by Christians in their relationship with God. He says this. Doesn't pull any punches, neither shall we. He says, you adulterous people. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hostility against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And again, I don't have to convince you guys, we're all in it. As Christians living in this world, it's very easy to become distracted and attracted by the things that are in this world. I mean, as temporary as it is, let's be real, the world has a lot to be, a, a, a lot of pleasure to offer. It's temporary, it's fleeting, but sin is very pleasurable. The world offers a lot of pleasurable stuff. Let's face it. But listen, when we exchange or when we compromise our love and our friendship for the Lord with our love and friendship for the things of this world, James says it's just like committing adultery. What does he mean by that? Well, listen, Paul in his letter to the Roman believers, he makes it very clear that our relationship with the Lord Jesus is like a marriage covenant to him. Back in Romans 7 again, verse 4. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. We're done with the law, done with the old covenant as it were. We now belong to him of the new covenant. And it's like a marriage. You see also, and you know this, that in a number of places in the book of Revelation, The church of Jesus Christ is referred to as his bride. So faithfulness, just as it is expected in any marriage as a husband and wife, is also expected and essential in our relationship with Christ. To love another, in this case the world, and so give that place in our lives to the world, which ought to be solely reserved for Christ, we are warned of committing spiritual adultery and therefore grieving the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John also warns God's people, his bride, by saying this, 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. We also know that through God's word that God is a jealous God. 
And so James also highlights this in verse 5. He says, or do, or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Let me just say quickly here that this is a very controversial verse with a lot of, a lot of Bible scholars. They'll say all kinds of things about that. If you study, you'll see there are different, different uh, uh, the thoughts and opinions about that particular verse. But I like what Warren Wiersbe says. I agree with him. He says this about that verse, James 4, 5. He says, There is a holy, loving jealousy that a husband and wife have over each other, and rightly so. Did you get that? Let me read it again. There is a holy, loving jealousy that a husband and wife have over each other, and rightly so. The spirit within jealously guards our relationship to God. And the spirit is grieved when we sin against God's love. Do you get that? And now James, from verses 6 through to 12, he now gives God's people the cure to this unrest. So we now move from cause to cure. That is the cure of those things that cause the unrest, the things that cause the fights and the quarrels in the church. He has some cures for that. Let's have a look at them. I've just listed three here. Look at these words of comfort and hope now. In the first part of verse 6, James says these magnificent words. He says, but he gives us more grace. Thank you, Lord. You give us more grace. Jesus came and he was full of grace and truth. And his grace is so sufficient for our every need. Learn to lean and press in and receive his grace. <clears throat> you see, this grace speaks of a, a wonderfully faithful God who will never leave us He'll never forsake us. Though we sin, though we put self first, rather than the Lord Jesus first, the Lord Jesus yet still gives us more grace that enables us, that enables us to confess sin. His grace will enable us to, to repent of that sin, to seek his forgiveness and his restoration, which Jesus is so willingly and unreservedly willing to give us. 1 John 1 9. I also love that scripture that reassures us in Romans 5 and verse 20 that says this the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But listen, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So God reminded Paul of such grace himself. Paul struggled and battled with that infirmity that he had and you remember how he wrestled with that in 2 Corinthians and then God said to him my grace is sufficient for you wherever you are whoever you are tonight whatever battles are going on in your heart whatever's going on he says my grace is sufficient for you rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him my grace is sufficient for you he can meet every need. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. If there's unconfessed sin by his grace, he will touch you in that area. He'll speak to you. 
He'll say, confess it, repent of it, put it right. Let's move on. Let's mend our fellowship together. I better keep moving on too. Yep. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient for humble dependency on the Lord entirely for every need. He's there. He's there for you. Secondly, while God's grace is our sufficiency, submission is our responsibility. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, the English translation doesn't do a real lot of justice to this particular Greek word for submit. I don't know what, you, what comes into your mind, but I, I guess if I'm thinking about it, you kind of think submit. Does that mean that after I've struggled and I've done all that I can, <clears throat> I kind of give up and just submit to a greater force? Is that how you see it? Because it's not a matter of struggling along ourselves and then finally out of exhaustion, submitting to a superior force or a superior power. But I like how this commentator puts it. He says this. He says, the word James uses is much more of an enlistment word, an enlistment word. The taking up of allegiance to a great superior in order to engage in the fight, listen, under his banner. Not under yours, under his. <laughs> you see, so it's out of that, this, this kind of submission then and allegiance to Christ, our great superior, that we, under his banner of power and authority, are equipped to press on and resist the devil. And the Bible tells us when you do that, Satan, with all of his power, but he's defeated, but it, he's still powerful, but Satan will flee from you. Powerful. Satan cannot stand against the power of God in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I, through our submission and our allegiance to God, have in our hearts. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you submit to God, you're putting yourself under his power, under his authority, under his banner. And it's when you do that, you've got his authority, you've got his power to come against the adversary. And Satan flees. He has to. Some of us actually had encounters with demonic spirits, and I'm not going to go into all that, but I have. And it was frightening. I don't want to ever go there again, but it has happened. And out of my fear and trembling, I remember rebuking this thing that hated me, the anger and the hatred that were in the eyes of this demonic being that confronted me one day. I wasn't going to share this with you. I don't know why I'm doing it, but I'm doing it now. But this thing was there. And as, I, and as the Spirit of God welled up in me, and he does it in all of you, if you ever encounter this stuff, he comes, he comes into you, he fills you with boldness, and I rebuked this thing in the name of Jesus. And it slid off. It disappeared. I was in a caravan with my family. This thing was outside. I won't go into all the details. Something happened that night. But uh, this thing was there. And it was frightening and it was ugly and horrible. And I've never seen eyes so full of hatred and terror that it had against me. But because you're under the banner and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, this thing could not touch me. He did not come into the van, in the caravan with my family. 
but I pointed at this thing and I rebuked it in the name of Jesus. And it bowed. It bowed its knee. It slid off. Gone. So what I'm talking about is real people. This is not just fanciful stuff. This is real. And there are some of you who have encountered what I'm talking about tonight and you know this works. This is real. Jesus is alive and real. He is powerful. And when you use his name against the powers of darkness, you don't go out there looking for demons, by the way. Don't do that. That's stupid. But if they look for you and they come against you, you've got Jesus. That's why you submit to him and come against the powers of darkness in the authority under the banner of him. And these demonic creatures have to go. They've got to bow their knee. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee bows in heaven and earth and under the earth, by the way. Yeah, let me keep moving on. I'm going to run right out of time. So do you want to know how to defeat that internal unrest, those battles that actively or passively rage within? Submit to God. Submit to God. Give your absolute allegiance to him. And then from that position of power and authority, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And you may need to use the word, say it out loud. When you sense that Satan is having a shot at you, when he's coming against you, say the words out loud. Get behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus used the same words. Get behind me. And Satan has to go. He has to bow his knee because he is defeated. He knows it, but he doesn't want you to know. Thirdly, let me move on. Thirdly, cure number three, verse eight. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. And in, this, in his amazing grace, the Lord Jesus so longs, more than you understand, he so longs for fellowship and communion with you. And he wants it, not just now. He wants it for eternity. He wants you for eternity, not just the here and now. And the next part of that verse, and into verse 9, tells us how this is accomplished, right? So he says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. How does that happen? Well, let's, let's look at this here. He says in verse 9, well, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. So clearly, again, we cannot be in a place of unconfessed and deliberate sin and have fellowship with the Lord. We cannot walk with God and walk with the world. We need clean hands if we're going to hold God's hand and a purified heart set wholly on him. And again, I can't personally think of a more appropriate promise from God's word than that, than that wonderful verse that I mentioned before. In 1 John 1, 9, I think all of us need to memorize that, have access to it. You can probably say it with me together. Here we go. Let's say it together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrrighteousness. Yep. See, in God's word found here, right here in James chapter 4, the Lord confronts the causes of unrest he, he, he confronts these internal battles of sin and selfishness that result in fights and quarrels. 2,000 years ago, that's what was going on in that church. It hasn't changed much, has it really? 
Isn't it incredible how relevant the scripture is? Happened 2,000 years ago. That was human behavior back then. Has it changed much today? Not really. But there you go. These internal battles of sin and selfishness that result in these fights and quarrels among God's people. So he calls that out, but he also gives the cure, which I love here. And you know, there's nothing else. There's nothing else that truly cures like the cure of his eternal living and proven word. Let me keep moving on. Just recently, just recently, I was at a particular function. Uh, older people, seniors, and uh, one of the songs that they sang uh, was an old uh, World War I song. Some of you would know it, some of you don't. And it goes like this. Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. Um, an entertaining song. I think Rochelle could sing it better than me. It's an entertaining song, but look, to be honest with you, I find it nauseating. I wouldn't say that to the people who sing it. I've heard it so many times. But as a cure for the human heart condition of sin and unrest? No. So very, very ineffective. So very, very inadequate. As was sadly illustrated by the news, which I didn't know until just recently, that the composer of that song committed suicide. Isn't that sad? In World War II. He thought, you know, he thought if he packed up his troubles in an old kit bag in World War I, that's the, that would solve his problem. But he found in World War II, when things started to get tough, it didn't work. Packing up your, old, packing up your troubles in an old kit bag and trying to smile doesn't work. You've got to give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. And if you're in that place of unrest tonight, internal unrest you know trust that that you've heard the lord jesus speaking to your heart and that you will as james says verse 8 come near to god and he will come near to you and verse 10 humble yourselves before the lord and he'll lift you up amen and can i just say that tonight charlie's here myself's here brenda's someone's other people are here Look, if the Lord's touched your heart tonight, then please meet someone. Come to the front or where you are, whatever, and just have someone pray for you uh, tonight. I encourage you to do that as we walk with Jesus. Let's just, just close in prayer. Father, I know it's been a long message tonight, but Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that um, you know, you've touched our hearts and you've spoken uh, and you've revealed yourself to us. Uh, help us, we pray, to be those people who, who stand against the temptations to fight and quarrel, the temptation, Father, of unconfessed sin, the temptation to want to be someone that we're not or be where we're not meant to be, doing what we're not meant to be doing. But, Lord, help us, we pray, to be content with whom you've made us to be, but, but to be the best person that we can. And, and, Lord, not to allow this stuff to get into our hearts in our minds that causes us to have this unrest where, there, where it does result in quarrelling and fights. So do your work amongst us all, we pray, and we thank you for your presence tonight. Touch us, continue to do that beautiful work that you do in all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I better disappear quick. <laughs>